It's everyone's favorite show about all things Utah. A show where four hosts, and sometimes a guest, discuss whatever they want regarding Utah, and mostly stay on topic. It's the new Utah Podcast, with your hosts, Bree, Chris, Jeremy, and Jessica. All right, it's uh, episode 243 of the new Utah Podcast. In this sunny, sunny... We January. Still, we still don't have a calendar. That's true. We need to do that still. The day before inauguration. <sighs> That's true. It'll be inauguration day when people hear this or later. It could have been three years later. I don't could know. Could be. It won't be before. Still happened. <laughs> it will not be before inauguration day. I can assure you of that. <laughs> that would be um, magic. Man, I don't know. I don't know where to start. My dog is fucking dying. So there's that chopper. Oh, chopper! He's like, well, you say that like he's like actually dying. He could be. Um, so a few months ago, his eating habits have changed a bit. Like he won't eat salt, like hard kibble. We have to soften it now. And we thought like it was probably yeah, it's just his age. He's almost fourteen. His teeth are probably getting bad. Um, you know, but. Uh, then the other day, he had an accident. Like, while he was sleeping, I think he peed himself in the recliner in my office. Huh. And, like, I, I left to go get something. I came back, and he had just jumped down, and he was just, like, being normal himself. And I looked, and there's like, this big wet spot, <laughs> which is clearly pee. And I smelled it, and I'm like, yeah, that's pee. So, I, you know, I cleaned it up and everything. But I don't even think he realized that he did it. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, I really hope that this is not like, I don't want incontinent dog before. Him and poor Ebo are in the same old man doggy. So, boat. yeah. So anyway, they had the normal vet appointment. They're, they're six month checkups um, last week. And he has a really high couple different things on his liver that are like way abnormally high. Last time we had a dog with liver counts like that for an extended period of time, she ended up having cancer. So um, got him on some liver meds and some antibiotics, actually, because I'm like, I don't know that it would just be his liver that's been like three months worth of eating. I think there might be something wrong. And so since we put him on the antibiotics, he has improved dramatically. His energy level's up. And so I think he might have been battling some sort of infection. Um, Which I'm hoping is maybe what? Was putting some stress on his liver and yeah, so we got his liver rechecked here in three weeks after he's been on this liver pill for a while to see if that helps. But has his eating changed at all? It's gotten better since we put him on the medication. We're but still softening his food, but yeah, they had his dental checkup, right? So they did his teeth. And they didn't do his teeth cleaning. I in thought fact, it was his teeth cleaning, but they just checked them. They did those in July, but oh. the thing is, they would they have done it anyway because, because liver, with yeah. the liver Can't counts like that and the fact that he already has a collapsed trachea. So well, that was Ebo. We had to get his meds realigned and everything before they do his teeth. So yeah, it's too dangerous for him. They they might not come out of it, you know. So poor old doggies. Poor old doggy problems. I know, I know. Um, Jess, you got some new carpet laid. Yeah, I did. It's beautiful. Jeremy yeah. got new carpet too. It's it like new thing. carpet central. Over carpet here. was was what the cool kids did this week. We don't have carpet. We don't have new carpet. We're not getting new carpet either. We are, too. No, we're not. Yes, we are. <laughs> are you putting carpet in the bedroom? Putting carpet in the girls' rooms. Why? Because it's nasty in there. Yeah, but why would you put carpet in there? Why not just tile everything? Because I don't want to tile in there. Then it'll be like a Spanish casita. Then why do we have to tile in our bedroom if you don't want to tile because in the girls' rooms? Because that's where all of the pets are, are, are constantly. 
this is this is a fight between us because I really well, want there to was no fight at my house. I said, <laughs> I'm getting carpet. I pulled it out, and, and said, now Ron, I have two new rooms of carpet. So how long if you been, got a problem with that, Ron? You can shut up. To actually pull it out once you got the furniture moved, it was like five minutes, right? It, for both rooms, it was like probably like two hours. After you moved all the furniture, or including the furniture moves? No, after. We lollygagged a little. There were staples in the ground. Uh, I guess we you got staple pulling. Yeah, if you pull the staples and the texture. That was the big yeah. thing. Was the yeah, the, the staples, staples is probably... Was... Those fucking staples suck. <laughs> or if the, like, the little parts are glued to the to the subfloor. But... The carpet itself is easy to get Yeah, off. no, it was super easy. It's not like the stairs. And when the, I did the stairs a couple years ago, that was the worst. And the installer probably took like fucking 15 minutes to do both rooms. No, I... So he got there at like... Because those rooms aren't had, like super complex, right? He had to leave because they only gave him one thing of patty. <laughs> uh. He's like, I have to go get another thing. He's like, I don't know why they only gave one. Um, so I don't know. I had to go out to city center to get my dump pass. And I don't know what time he got back. Um, and I just left and went to work for a couple hours. Did they, so he did was they, gone when uh, I got home. They didn't do any cuts in like the middle of your rooms, I would assume either, did they? Why? Like, yeah, there was a couple of the dude watching him do the seams was the coolest thing freaking ever. It was so awesome because it's like, it's like a super glue gun. (laughs) It was really amazing actually to watch because you can't, you can't even tell. Like it was so cool. So I think that they did one cut because my upstairs room is like, 25 square feet and my downstairs room is 24 it's just like barely smaller and so they i think they just did two cuts in each in each room yeah i'm so. i'm surprised though because you know i've been in them and i don't think that i didn't feel like they were they're bigger than you think and then when all the furniture out they're but they're even bigger uh-huh. yeah i was like i don't know because like for this room this is all one big piece here, mm-hmm. and then I think he had to do a cut by the door is all, but the rest of this was like all well, one it's because big... of the width. Yeah. yeah. Width is... But now I have to get all the new things. New bed, new sofa. Because you got things. new carpet, you mm-hmm. have to buy everything else new. Yeah. I got a plan. Starts tomorrow. Payday tomorrow. What about you? You got new carpet too, right? New carpet. So for us, we did the match the drapes about a month now. and a half ago. Uh, so we scheduled the upstairs room. It was great. Went right over it. <laughs> what, what, what? I asked if it matched your drapes now. Oh, it is a grayish color. <laughs> so we tore out carpet and painted. So we started last Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's the best time to do it. You don't got to worry about ruining anything. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so we started with Jonathan's room, took everything out of it, painted, then just put his mattress on the floor, and then did the same thing with Hannah's room. Then our room. So it was kind of what we, did you we do spread with all the furniture? All, it's all over the living room and the kitchen. <laughs> Remember you told him to move it outside last week. I did. I did. So like, if it would have only been one day, that would have been one Because all the rooms were like one mattress and nothing else. So all yeah. the furniture was just in the kitchen. So that was like, it was like a, it looked like a hoarder house. So our couch. <laughs> And there was a line to the TV, and then like all around it, so you could sit on the couch and still see the TV. (laughs) Junk everywhere else. But uh, the thing is, is we're taking a little bit longer to put it back because we're making the kids go through stuff, and it's like we're not just gonna to get it out. We just threw it in boxes. Well, I mean, you guys and I'm doing the same thing at my house. But to put it back, it's like okay, you're going through this stuff. You're gonna because you guys have been there for a long time, and so to like like normal, you know, normally if you move, you purge a lot when you move but right. if you haven't moved and the kids have been there for a while you know eight nine ten because you've been there longer than 10 years 14 they've been there longer than i've even 14 known years. you so 
Uh, that's a that's a long time to be in one space. A lot of crap. Whole good, lot of crap. Good time to purge. So yeah. So that that was our Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then yesterday they came. They got there right at nine. Uh, probably around eleven thirty ish. They were done. Yeah, they're so fat. Carpet installation is so damn. There fast. was four of them. So we did have, so the last few things we did shove in our room. So we had them do the two kids' rooms first and then we shifted everything over and then they did the last one. But yeah, they were, there's four of them. I mean, they were, they were quick. Yeah, they're, I've, so. it's all, carpet installation's always been fast, even when we were paying like in beer. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was my whole entire weekend. Carpet. I, I think we've purged almost everything possible to purge out of this house uh, at this point. I mean, point. I'm sure there's there's some like sentimental things and whatnot, but um, but we cleaned out our pantry and the rest of our cupboards on Sunday. Have the kids yeah. kind of taken their stuff at this point? Or no, we can purge that shit. Well, that's I guess that's not true. Uh, they really don't. Ha- Sean has some stuff stored because she just has hoarding tendencies. Uh, Cassie doesn't really have anything left here. She has a couple things in the dresser and she has some stuff on the bookshelf, but not really. She's but not, much Sean out. has some bags of like stuffed animals the and desk, stuff. And then desk. she has her, her old art desk that I took out and replaced with mine. And then her dresser still has some things and stuff in it. But I'm sure if I forced it, she'd, she'd probably get rid of most of it. But, but yeah, no, we they did, don't really have a lot here. We did some pantry clean out and rearrangement because, you know, we cleaned out the fridge and the pantry and we're like, mm, let's take everything out and rearrange. And Bree's like, well, we might as well do these cabinets for these shelves that we don't ever use. Because I, I cleaned out under the sink and the cupboard that's on the other side of our like little peninsula. When you did your And the dishes. When, kind of. Yeah. When we did that and stuff. And so... Um, there was only a couple other cupboards because we don't have very many cupboards in our kitchen. And I was like, let's, let's look and see what's in these. Cause the top shelves, like nobody puts, like you put shit you can't get to and you don't ever use. And so I'm like, what's up here and why is one it of our here? top shelves is dedicated to coffee cups. <laughs> I'm the only one that drinks coffee out of the two. I of actually us. finally got rid of all of the mugs that match my plates that I don't ever use. Because I'm like, when we use these, we're not going to use the matching mug. You, you know, you're old when this was your weekend. Yeah, it was. It was fulfilling as fuck too. I still, even today, I open up the pantry this morning. I'm like, God damn, this looks good. <laughs> so we got, we did get a whole new set of cups for Christmas. So we finally went through and got rid of all the crappy mismatched kids plastic. Yeah, we got cups rid of our and, kids cups that we didn't even know we had anymore. So, you know what sucks though is I can't just drive to the DI now and dump that stuff. Right. I have to make an, an appointment that's like two weeks you out. You can go to Savers, though. Savers, they start at 10 in the morning, and they go until they're full, which is usually about two, two and a half yep. hours. So you don't have to have an appointment if you get there at 10. Well, and yeah. we've done that, that too. But. I've donated like three times to Savers this year because of the DI thing. Yeah, DI yeah. blows. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I find some pretty, pretty <laughs> amazing stuff at DI, and it's way fucking closer than Savers is to me. Yeah, well, yeah, true. I guess DI is closer to me, too, but I, I prefer Savers. Yeah, well... Savers isn't really DI's local. That's true. That is also true. But it's also owned by the Mormons. I don't care. So which which uh mentally handicapped person um exploiter company do you want to work with? Is the question. <laughs> they all they all no, they all got in trouble for it like two years ago because they pay them substandard wages yeah. because they're handicapped in most cases and they're able to do that legally. Don't ask me why. That's like a fucked up law that we have. Um, but 
Yeah, they like the. I think it was Goodwill that got in the most heat for it because they were like working these people like ridiculous hours for like two bucks an hour. <laughs> like, give me a fucking break! Like, I know you're a thrift store, but why are you taking advantage? Well, of Well, here's the thing. Here's my complaint with thrift stores, which I love thrift stores. You got every damn thing on your shelf for free. Yeah, and you're selling some of that stuff for way more than like it oh, should shit. be. I'm I'm on a I follow a, a community on Facebook. Um, that's a, a Utah magic card sales community for people that are trading magic cards and it's not super active. Uh, and I happen to be on Facebook. Was it this morning that I was on Facebook that I, I saw your tagged, sausage post? I tagged you on something. Yeah. So, uh, I, I hopped on for a few minutes and, and I see this post, the Murray DI this week, uh, maybe it was on over the weekend had a pallet of magic cards in bulk, like the you know those huge five thousand count boxes that I have. Are you like that for us? It was a gym? pallet of those. Well, looking at the picture that the guy posted, like there was a a basic land box that had lands taped to the outside of each thing. Like clearly, this is from a game shop. And like you look at it, and it's like bulk, blah blah blah, and this thing, and like okay, clearly it's all the bulk commons from a game shop that probably went out of business is my guess. And they just did the donation of what's basically useless. Chain. And they're all the same one card. Well, yeah, I mean, they're all, I mean, they're all like super like worth nothing cards. Like what you get for bulk is usually something like a dollar per thousand from most big card distributors. So, uh, it's just not probably not worth anything, but I thought it was interesting to see. Like it was a, it, it was a pallet stacked, like, I don't know. 10 of those things high and wow. like filled like it was a lot of cards so i thought that was interesting now that we're talking about thrift stores so that is to di as fireball is to your liquor store yeah oh they okay so the liquor store here <laughs> i just want to throw this so we're going to talk a lot about alcohol today guys so buckle up um but uh that liquor store so it used to just be pallets i think they someone must have been like this looks terrible so now it's pallets but they have these nice little like Box display box display box like built around t- it. It's like two by four, but it's it's fancy not, it's, two by fours. Yeah, it looks decent instead of it just being a pallet. But it's really like a pallet, and then you just lower this thing onto the pallet over. But the they cases. could do it do a pallet of of anything. Yeah, it, but it is like fireball. it is like fireball, and then like um, there was a, one of them was Jack Daniels, and then there was one that was like plastic bottle Bartons or something. So my liquor store has. The fireball on the shelf, two or three bottles, but not pallets. Yeah, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk a lot about liquor here in a few. So, <laughs> uh, before we do that, um, you know, this this might play in in hand with alcohol is getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people get divorced because one spouse or the other or both have alcohol problems, right? Um, uh, sometimes that's a mutual decision. Um, the alcohol? Yeah. I mean, no, no, getting the divorce because you're both alcoholics. Uh, it's sad. It, sadly, it is actually a true thing. Um, but, you know. Well, and you, as we found from talking to our friend, what was oh, I? Sorry. Jill? Yeah, Jill. Uh, during COVID, divorce rates have gone up 400%. Yeah, because when you have to be stuck at home with that person instead of. Only seeing them four hours a day, things change sometimes. Sometimes you don't like that person as much as you thought you did. Or you uh, didn't, you knew you didn't like them, but now that you're stuck with them all day, you just can't handle it anymore. So it's like my friend's grandparents who got divorced at like 65 <laughs> because they'd hated each other for so long, but then like all the kids were gone and, and they decided it was just time. It's time. Yeah, that's a, it's a shame. But the thing is, like, usually when you get to that point, like you, you've already made up your mind that you're getting divorced, and unless 
you want to be vindictive and shitty, involving an attorney is just a giant expense. So why not skip that? And, and the attorney is the only one making money. Go through the TurboTax of divorce, which is OurDivorce.com. I'm using that. I don't, I don't give a shit. They're not going to get in trouble for me saying they're the TurboTax of divorce, but that's what they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, those guys, uh, two ninety nine after you go through the whole process, so you get to actually go fill stuff out and see what it's all about and, and sign off on things. And, you know, for a lot of people, uh, I would probably say over half of people that get divorces, uh, so 25% of marriages, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably the right solution for them, so... Um, have they gone international or are they still just in the U.S.? <laughs> they can't go international. You never know. They're doing people that well. People get divorced. <laughs> I, I know people get divorced in other countries. You know how difficult it is to keep up oh, on the, sure laws the laws of 50 <laughs> fucking states, let Ridiculous. alone countries? Like in Some countries, don't you just cut like a left arm off? Well, in you... Canada, you have to say sorry to them at least once a month for the first four years. So, And then... Moose, sorry. Moose steaks at the end sorry. of each month, something crazy like that. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I imagine and? this would like be the perfect service for Canadians, though. <laughs> They're so like peaceful most of the time. They're just <laughs> amicable about everything. Uh, um, do you want to get a divorce? So, <laughs> okay. Has Mary? I'm going to move on though. Has Mary fucked her grandpa yet? On camera. So they're not giving her very much screen time. Yeah, because she's a grandpa fucker. She was just like, she's at the beginning of each episode for just a couple minutes and then not. My guess so. is she isn't like a particularly interesting person in real life. I don't think so. Because you have to be a particular. Except for her house is full of clothes in every single room. Like she even joked this episode about buying an apartment i actually don't even think it was a joke for her clothes well maybe maybe the reason and she's like six houses that maybe the reason they cut her out of most stuff is they probably had an agreement with hoarders <laughs> oh yeah she gets her own like oh man that's can really, you imagine it's like really nice she's clothes. on the she's on the front lawn of her house with like a little pop-up tent and her her grandpa husband is sitting next to her and they're going through shit and she's like no that's a keep no, that's a keep. Yeah. No, that's a keep. And they pull out a bag that's full of moldy clothes. She's like, no, those are still good. You just throw them through the washing machine. They have giant holes in them. No, it's fine. It's in style now. Yeah. I don't know. My guess is if it comes back for a second season, though, I don't think she'll be part of the cast. Yeah. Just based on the time that they've given her. That's a love her. that show with the hoarders where it's like this, what's this, this rusty hubcap. Oh, no, we got to keep that. Just like yeah. the most random weird like stuff. Like that fucking old McDonald's wrapper is garbage. No, I drew something on it. I want to keep it. Uh, all of your McDonald's Monopoly pieces <laughs> from the 80s. <laughs> no, that's coming back. <laughs> I might have some of those in my desk drawer. I'm not going to lie. No, so this this episode, they went, uh, not all of them, but uh, Heather and Whitney took Jen down to Mystic Hot Springs, which is just south of, uh, is it Richfield? What's the one off of? Just off of off 70. I-70? Yeah, yeah, that's Richfield. <laughs> Anyways, so it's just south of there. So it's about two hours and 45 minutes from Salt Lake. And it is about as rundown and hippie as you can get. And they show that. Like, it's pretty legit. So they have cabins. RV camping, and then they have also uh, retrofitted some buses that you can, uh, that you can, you know, they're like little hotel rooms that you can sleep in, and, um, or you can just go down and you can reserve like a two-hour 
soaking time. They have, like, if you've seen pictures of the hot springs with the tubs, that's Mystic Hot Springs. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah they yeah, also yeah. have a couple of other pools as well. So they, <laughs> they took Jen down, and Jen's in her, like, Porsche, and she's like, they dragged me all the way down here. <laughs> she wouldn't get it. She's like, I'm going to wear my shoes in because these tubs are filthy, and I just want to be like, it's just mineral deposits. They clean the tubs all throughout the day. Um And... Like, it was just fun to see something other than, like, Salt Lake featured, um, because they have spent a lot of time, like, downtown and up in Park City. And so, to go south was really cool. And so, the the soaking sessions, I think, are, like, 25 bucks for two hours. Um, and I think, like, 65 bucks a night, 200 bucks. Yeah, it's, like, 60 bucks a I've night. I've seen those tubs, like, all over Pinterest and stuff. They actually They're look kind of cool. They're super awesome. So, really that was really cool. And I had made a comment to Whitney on Twitter and I woke up <laughs> to her saying it is super fun unless you're a high maintenance bitch. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she just threw shade at me about Jen and that was amazing. But then Jen was on a local, uh, was on a, a serious satellite radio show this morning and it was really interesting to hear her talk about the editing process and you know she's i feel she's much more down to earth than the show is portraying she's like a raging oh, yeah. bitch I on mean, the, the show the, the show the, those shows are all hyper edited like. for sure and and you and as a viewer you know they're the housewives franchise have like crazy viewers mm-hmm. like loyal in well, every single episode. And I think something that's been so nice about this season is how like really down to earth these women are it, like as a whole. Yes, they have their moments, but as a whole, like it's just kind of been really refreshing. That's because so. they're good. Uh, good Utah women. Yeah. That aren't really from here. All of them. So. Um, there is only two of them that aren't mm-hmm. from here. So yeah, like yeah. I said, but uh, they live here. I mean, they live here full time now. So yeah, Mystic Hot Springs. Check it out. Actually, don't check it out because then I'll get too busy. <laughs> it feels like a COVID cesspool in each of those tubs. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think we're going to jump right into news. Um, I, I did want to... It's not really news. We're going to talk about alcohol a lot. Um, I did want to bring up one story, um, and, and that's a, it's kind of a feel-good story. Um, and, and I only, I, I caught this story because I actually do some work for, uh, the food truck league locally. Um, and this is just one of the things that their trucks, you know, I don't think it was even them that organized it. Um, but one of their, one of their trucks organized this really cool, uh, Intermountain Medical Center. Uh, thank you. So the, um, the food truck league had a bunch of trucks show up there. Uh, they donated over 1,400 meals to frontline workers at a bunch of the hospitals around the state, um, giving what they called food hugs since they can't really give real hugs to these healthcare workers. So just a cool event where they had a whole bunch of different trucks show up at different hospitals, uh, Intermountain hospitals primarily. That's who they kind of uh, organize everything with. And, um, they donated meals, uh, to every, every, uh, healthcare worker there. So a really cool thing that a, a bunch of local businesses, um, you know, this isn't a, a good time for them. You know, food, food trucks are faring so, so, um, so for them to, to take their time and their, their afternoon lunch and be able to give hot, good food to well, I think they did it more than just lunch because they talked about staying late for like overnight workers and stuff like that. Yeah, they may have uh they probably swapped trucks in and out throughout the day uh to make sure they could give people food 
at various times. So the whole staff didn't come out at like one to, <laughs> to get food. <laughs> the hospital empties out. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I want to just, it's just a, it was a really cool story. Um, that I, that I had stumbled across because of the work I'm doing with them. And I thought it was a, a really cool story in a time where people are just being dicks to each other, uh, to, to see something like that. So, all right. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about, um, the Department of Alcohol and Beverage Control in the state of Utah. We're going to be talking to, um, the wine guy, uh, Jimmy Santan, Santangelo. Yep. Cause it's, it's. I know I missed an N. Okay. So I wasn't crazy. So <laughs> no, I, I was to, looking at it. I was I, like, oh. I'll put it wrong in the yeah. show notes. <laughs> I'll let you know what you know. Yeah. After I've done it, <laughs> I just fix it now. Uh, but Jimmy, Jimmy Santangelo, who is the uh, owner and, and founder of the Wine Academy of Utah is going to be joining us in a little bit. Um, and so I thought it was an appropriate time to talk about Utah liquor sales. Um, a lot has changed in this last year. So, you know, we just talked about food trucks in their business. Uh, restaurants have, have suffered greatly. Um, and as a result of their suffering, uh, Utah's lost a lot of money this year in liquor sales. There's talk, and this is, this dives into our, our, our legislature's mindset of like how to deal with things. They forget that it's a fucking pandemic year and that everything changed. Uh, and there's been suggestions of, well, let's, well, let's have the liquor stores run themselves and be self-sufficient and let's not build new stores because sales are down and our, our revenues are down. The big reason the revenues are down is, is restaurants. The only reason. Yeah. I mean, really it is. Yeah. So, well, and then they, and then they put the curfew. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a bunch like of weird that. shit that they've done. So the, the, uh, restaurant groups are only purchasing about 60% of once they want, of what they once did. So basically their sales to restaurants have been cut in half, which by the way that's the majority of sales the the DABC does. What they do in their stores for consumers pales in comparison to the kind of stuff that they sell to restaurants because remember if a restaurant wants to even tap a keg of beer, they have to order it from the liquor store. Yep. So all of the distribution routes through uh, the DABC within the state of Utah. So, um, yeah, that, the 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 sales being down that much to restaurants has uh, ended in a in a huge loss so far uh, in 2020. Now their fiscal year is a little different, so maybe in the early summer we'll we'll get to see some of the actual numbers that were finalized. But well, it says, just as a side note in this article, as a liquor control liquor controlled state. Alcohol is sold at a cost plus eighty eight percent markup. Yeah, that's for that. It depends on the, the spirit, right? So if it's, a, I think liquor is sold at that. Beer's different, wine's different. They have different markups based on the type of alcohol. But that that's to our detriment and to our benefit. So the markup could mean that a bottle of wine that costs three dollars in California costs us five here, but it also means things like specialty orders like Pappy Van Winkle. We pay a hundred dollars for something that goes for three grand in the mm. open market, so there there are advantages and disadvantages. And I think Mostly disadvantages, though. How many people are buying Pappy Van Winkle? Uh, about a hundred usually yeah. is about what we get. <laughs> but that's my point. Okay, There's so a lottery. For, it, it gave an advantage to a hundred people. Um, so, uh, there, there's, you know, a few different articles I found, you know, from mostly from this year. Uh, one of them is about privatizing liquor sales, which is something I've been a proponent of for a long time. Um, I think it's crazy that the state runs the liquor stores. Well, you gotta, 
you go to Idaho, and the Walmart in, in Idaho has a bigger selection than half of the liquor stores. And you could go to like Smith's and use your Fresh Values card and get some points for it. Yeah, I mean, and they could control that. Like they could say you can't do that. Um, and we're not the only state that does it. I think there's there's uh, like um, probably 18 states. I don't know, um, but there's there's. Uh, a lot of states do um, pretty heavy control, like Pennsylvania is all state-run stuff. Um, so Utah's not the only one. Um, but this was an interesting case study on the state of Washington, which used to have state-run liquor stores, and they voted to change that. Um, and so they went from 330 stores before privatization to 1,600 afterwards. However, uh, they now have the highest in the country for their per, bar- per barrel excise tax on um, spirits. So now it's $32.52 per gallon is their excise tax in Washington. And if you think Utah would be any different, you're crazy. So it's half that, which still makes it the fifth highest in the nation, but we also make money on every liquor sale. So we have the excise tax, plus we're making the profit on the markup. If you think that we wouldn't add more taxes to that, um, you're crazy. I bet we'd get close to where Washington's at. Um, so it's just a cautionary tell that that can perhaps create problems. The good news is we would get variety. Yeah. Right? We'd stop yeah. losing all the stuff that they're cutting because it's not selling as well. Um, and so you would, you would start to see more specialty stuff. You'd potentially be able to do like wine of the month clubs and things like that. Um, but you know, they, Put a lot of money in the state budget, right? $191 million last year they added to the state budget. Um, and so, and, and most of that goes to the general fund. So that's a, that's a, that's a big deal to make that change. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, I didn't realize that, uh, Washington had done that and had seen such a huge rise in their excise tax. Uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, the liquor stores are trying to figure out the best ways to handle COVID because they did, you know, they, they went to the weird schedule where they all close at seven for a long mm-hmm. time. Are they still closing at seven? I think they're open till 10 now. I think they've changed that in the recent, like just, class. just, just very recently. Like, like I in think. November or December, yeah. I think they changed that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that they've talked about doing is like curbside, um, pickup, you know, being able to, to drive up and have an online order delivered to you. There's logistics that have to happen for that. I don't think the legislator will, will change. Legislature. Yeah, legislature, whatever. I'll get it wrong for the next two months. Um, I'll get it wrong for the rest of my life. The next two months, I'll just do it a lot on air because <laughs> they're in <laughs> session, sort of. <laughs> it sounds like Spencer Cox could be on board with this, though. Yeah, but it's not Spencer Cox that matters. It's, no, it's I know, the, but the actual... him being, you know... Uh, super LDS and and saying, "Hey, this could actually work." Might be a you know our, our nasty neighbors the, burning their nasty wood fucking house with their wood. Um, <laughs> but it it wouldn't just like this well, curbside is stuff wood. is just um isn't just for the liquor store. Uh, restaurants want to be able to do that too, and then the sales could go up. I mean. It, it makes sense if they can sell it in a responsible way. I mean, if you go to the liquor store and you buy a can of beer and you don't open it, why can't you go to a restaurant and have them hand you a can of beer and not open it till you get home? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I think the idea there is trying to avoid DUIs. We already have the toughest DUI laws in the country. Right. So. But I mean, like I said, you can still go, to, you can go to the grocery store and buy a can of beer. You can go to the grocery store and buy but Whatever. I can't buy and, a mixed drink or wine. 
You're right. But if they have them sealed properly, I, I really don't think that it would be it's like boba cups. Well, the giant strap, maybe they make a boba booze. Um, oh, you should you should trademark that. Boba booze. Boba booze. Boba boobies. <laughs> um, the, the last thing I want to talk about, and, and I don't know if you guys all had the chance to read this full article from the Associated Press. I didn't even have Kathy's amazing. She's. Yeah. So Kathy Stevenson wrote this for the AP and it got picked up by quite a few places. Um, but it's a pretty good in-depth article, um, about the effects of Utah's change in beer law. So we talked about this pretty extensively as it was going on. We talked to some brewers about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the Red Rock guy. Um, and how he kind of stood out. And, and one of the things that was very clear from talking from, from us even off air talking to a lot of the local brewers is, um, 5% was a 5% was not, not good enough. Uh, the problem is they were all set to brew at the lower rate, right? So all of their shit, all the stuff like brewing beer is not a, one day I brew it and the next day it's available. Instead, it's Months. I brew it, you know, with the loggers, for instance, at Bohemian. They sit inside the vats for a long time and they're all charged to do it at the old 3.2. When it moved up to five, that's great for that's great for the, the citizens of Utah at some some level. But most of their specialty brews that were ready to go were above that 5%. They were closer to like somewhere in the five and a half to six and a half range. Those can't still be sold in grocery stores. Who really pushed for the 5% were grocers, um, convenience stores. There was a big lobbying group that they created. Uh, and then also the really big boys, Anheuser-Busch, Coors Brewing. Well, because they didn't, they didn't want to make it anymore at that well, lower point. And they don't have to change what they're doing for 5%. The vast majority of their products, because that's within guidelines of most of the country, the vast majority of their products at 5% is fine. They're going to be able to put those the products on store shelves. And so the stuff that was normally sold at liquor stores now can be sold in uh, grocery stores and gas stations. And so that that's all they wanted. And so it was really good for consumers in a sense. It was really good for um, grocery stores and convenience stores to be able to, to, to sell that stuff. But the people really lost out were our local breweries. So our local Utah businesses really kind of got screwed. Well, and then COVID right after that. Cause this, cause that was all last fall. Cause I remember last fall mm-hmm. having all the grocery store cause no, shelves that were like in November 2019. I know when you, when I saw that you post this article, I was like, I can't, I can't believe that has already been, been over a year. A now. year. And, and it would be interesting to see. Like, I mean, I know that we won't ever know, but the effects of it versus like the effects of it during COVID, you know? So for multiple reasons. So local brewers have two main places they they can send uh, their beer. They send it to restaurants and bars in the forms of kegs. Uh, and of course, restaurants and bars have seen a massive drop in uh, people being able to go there. Uh, they, they've, you know, from the, the DABC itself, their, their sales have dropped, you know, to 60%. Um, so the, the beer, the craft brewers in the state of Utah have seen their store sales drop by over 40%. Um, and, uh, they're also at the same time, because of the change in the law, Utah increased the excise tax on beer. We already had the highest excise tax in the nation at $12 and 80 cents. Now it's 13, 10. 
um, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for a small local brewer, you know, that's a lot per barrel to, to have that tax go up. So they're paying more taxes, being able to sell less. Um, and this article focuses a little bit on Epic because Epic, that's their, their wheelhouse was high point beers in the liquor store. But now people aren't going to the liquor store to buy beer. So they're not faced with the decision of like Molson or whatever steel reserve crap versus Epic. Now they just go to the grocery store and they're like, I can get 90% of what I want here. Right. Why would I go to the liquor store? And at the grocery store, the the only grocery store that gives really good shelf space to local beers is Harmon's. Yep. Uh, the rest of them, local beers are relegated to just one little section. This is a pretty good section of local stuff. That's good. That's yeah. good. Well, and when you go to the to the liquor store, you buy it by the can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's priced per each, whereas you go to the grocery store, you can get a six-pack, a 12-pack, whatever well, the case may I be. I think Harmon still has their mix and match. Well, they do, but, uh, but when you go to the liquor store, all the cans are by the each. Well, and the other thing is, at the grocery store... The, the the beer's way cheaper. So at the liquor right. store, everything's marked up 66.5% for like two beer. bucks a can. And so, yeah, if you're paying two bucks a can at the liquor store, but you can go to the grocery store and get something for a dollar or a dollar fifty a can, you're going to buy the stuff from, from the grocery store most of the time. Right. And it might not be quite what you want, but for the difference in price. So and you don't have to stand in line at the liquor store and all that other stuff. It's uh, it's it's rough. It's rough for sure. I mean, it is nice to see some breweries like really kind of step out. Uh, Kitos in particular has had a really big. I've really, uh, I've really liked their stuff swing, but yeah, the the things that really depress me are you know, Bohemian is one of my favorite brewers <laughs> locally, and they really have been hit hard. I should reach out to Kelly and and uh, I'd get love an to update. talk to them again. Yeah, and just kind of see how that. And how COVID has affected them. I uh, went to lunch at uh, Bohemian a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, and uh, it was hopping. There, were, I mean, it was still distance. It wasn't obviously as busy because it gets packed. It was on a Friday right at lunchtime, and it was pretty busy. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I was actually close to anyone, um, but there were a lot of people in there. They were all spaced out well, but... Uh, so they're they're doing as well as they can, but for a restaurant that would have normally had a completely packed house at noon on a Friday, selling beers, uh, and probably some of those people don't leave for six, seven, eight, nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was very disappointing, unfortunately, to 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 see. Still, you know, they're going to be struggling. Uh, with well, that, and their so. beers are. I mean, when you talk a craft beer. Bohemian is the poster child. Oh, they're craft. great. They're great. It's it's like small brewers get to play on the big scale there. It's it's fantastic. So anyway, I just I thought it was appropriate to talk a little bit about that. It's been a really kind of turbulent last year uh, with COVID, the way liquor sales have, have turned out. I would not be surprised to see some legislation proposed that's probably not going to be super favorable. Um, the number of liquor stores we've been turning out might slow down quite a bit. With the drop in sales as well. Makes sense, right? Like, I mean, they got to pay for themselves in a sense. So, um, hard anyway. to say. Yet, where you got Lehigh that's growing so fast, I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, this week we have, uh, uh, I think, a fantastic guest I'm excited to talk to. We have Jimmy Santangelo, the founder of the Wine Academy of Utah, with Anybody us. Anybody who brings us drinks is automatically an amazing <laughs> guest. Yeah, your notch of like where your guest is is like up a little bit higher if you bring us drinks. So, Well, that sounds good. Thanks for having me. So you're just so you know, you're in the echelon of like brewers 
and distillers. Salt City. Um, and a few random people that like the cider. Brew their own shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Tom. Tom brought us his son's yeah. homemade hooch. That's right, his homemade uh, lemon drop hooch. That was lemon droppy. Different. It was like a lemon it's like drop on a lemon head. Yeah, it was. It was good, but it was way too sweet. I can't. <laughs> mm. It was pretty strong. I bet homemade. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it distilled homemade, or did he just use vodka and infuse it? No, I think it was distilled. No, I think it was infused. Anyway. That's, That's neither here nor there. That has nothing to do with Jimmy. Then we had I mean, the other sure guy would like to his, taste it. The other guy, like a couple months ago, that brought his wine, his homemade wine. Oh yeah, the 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 <laughs> punk rock <laughs> punk rock elf. Yeah, yeah, punk rock. Yeah. What? Which, which is that? The punk rock what? Punk rock garden. Punk rock from punk rock punk farmer. Rock farmer. Yeah. Oh, he's on like KSL. He's got his own show on KSL. Oh Not yeah, KSL. yeah, yeah. He's or KRCL. KRCL. Punk rock farmer. Got it. But he he makes his own wines and he's like a plum wine. Brought some samples and it was delightful. There's a lot of passion out there to be able to distill and brew and we even do at the uh, Utah Wine Festival down in uh, Cedar City each year over um, uh, Labor Day in September. We have uh, all the wineries in Utah there compete and last year we tasted over 63 wines. Um, that was a lot of fun. That I sit on the judging panel there. It's a bit of a dehydrating event. I was going to say, do the <laughs> do the do the summon temple folks bring wine down? Oh yeah, for the competition. Oh, I don't know, but I would we, assume not. Yeah, because it's a religious thing. But, ah, you know those guys. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So they are they they have the pyramid. Oh yeah, over on uh, off of Ninth South and uh, so their license is one. So they were the very first winery in Utah. Oh my god! So the license really number is. One. That's fantastic. <laughs> but all of their all of their wine they it's make for they make just enough to maintain their license and then it's mm. all used for their, their ceremonies and stuff. So Yeah, there's a lot of wineries that uh the big uh discussion there and I guess we're just kinda jumping right into we'll jump, it. We'll ask you yeah. some questions in a minute, but yeah, yeah sure. jump on in. The uh interesting thing about the wine festival is that a lot of wineries you know, people always ask, Well, does Utah even grow grapes? And many yes we do, one. Um are all the Utah wineries sourcing their fruit from Utah to make their wine? No. Some uh uh source from Washington, from Oregon, from California, and then uh either it's unfermented or it's already been fermented and they'll they'll crush it, ferment it here if it's unfermented, if it's grape juice, or if it, they receive finished wine, then they'll blend in a unique fashion. Um so the 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 technical the kind of beer and popcorn discussion that you have as well as it really a Utah winery, although they're located here, they're not sourcing their fruit from here. Well to answer that question, that happens all over the country. Distillers do well, all I was the gonna time. say yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna take that route then High West High West isn't technically because they outsource the base right. and mix it. Well I guess by now they've probably got their first batch about ready to release maybe uh, probably, American probably Prairie. Yeah, yeah, yeah American Prairie is one that they yeah. Do. Sugar House, Outlaw, all of them, they source in the base. Sugar House doesn't. Not anymore. Didn't he up front? No. He mixed up front, or he's always... He's one of the only ones that... Yeah, he's one of the few, you're right. Okay. But, but uh, it's neat to see when I go to these competitions, whether people are sourcing the fruit uh, from the state or outside, one thing that, that links them all together is the passion. Yeah. Is the deliberateness. Nobody goes into the wine or even distillation world... Um, 
to make a lot of money because it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> if they're crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's super expensive. Uh, margins are narrow and you're in a controlled state. So there's some high taxes here in the state of Utah, uh, once it gets to the retail shelves. So unless you're high west who goes into it with a lot of backing and quite the amazing business plan, but I think they're the only ones that. Yeah, they're available now, distributed since Constellation um, is operating them now, ownership. Yeah. They, uh, they're they not only available in all the states, but now in a lot of European countries uh, while traveling. Pretty cool. Yeah, while traveling through London or in Scotland, through Edinburgh on my trips, uh, my, my high tour West. trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah you cool. used to not see Yeah, on the Royal Mile, actually. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's really exactly cool. right. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll back up. Okay. So- we like to ask every guest this question. Sure. What month were you born in? October. January. Yeah. Okay. So you're like beginning January. of October or end of October? Beginning, October 10th. So you were a New Year's baby. Your Pretty parents much. were probably uh Oh, yeah, a great there New Year's. you go. Yeah, uh, January, it does get cold in Buffalo, New York, where I'm from. So. <laughs> Not a lot more to do in January. First week of January, there's football. Did and, you uh, have a nor'easter that year? <laughs> yeah, right? Were they trapped oh in 10 feet of snow? <laughs> trapped in 10 feet of snow. So oh, you were born God. in Buffalo, New York, huh? Yep, I'm originally from Western New York, Buffalo, and uh, I came out here to visit an uncle who lived here already. He came out for the fishing and uh, skiing, outdoorsman, had his own business. He was a hairdresser and uh, worked up in Park City. So it was fun to be able to come out to visit him. And as a young adult, I lived in uh, Pasadena, California, and it was easier to go to Burbank Airport, fly here, get picked up by him and click in at Alta into some skiing. skiing. It was about the same amount of time within an hour as it was for me to go to Bear Lake in uh, California. Big bear, yeah. yeah, Big Bear, rather. Excuse me. Yeah, to go to Big Bear. Uh, so it was easier to come well, out here and hang out. Here. Skiing's not only better here, but it was, you know, it was fun to get out of town. Also, Big Bear is like... One resort that services how many millions of people? Yeah, essentially? it's a little crowded. <laughs> First time I ever had Goldschlager was at a bar there. I'm still burping it up. Mm, sweet, delicious gold flakes. So you grew up in New York. Did you yep. go to school high school, or college in New York? Did you- uh, I did. I, I got my two-year degree, my business administration degree, and then I worked for a publishing company that uh, rotated me around the country to Denver, Colorado for a few years. And then uh, I settled in Pasadena, continued my uh, uh, undergraduate there, and then transferred over, over to the U- University of Utah here. So what, when was that? It was, I moved here in 94 and I was a little bit of a later matriculating student, although I was only 24, um, being a junior in college, you know, a little bit older and, uh, it seems so young now looking back. Right. Yeah. But, um, at that time, and I already had more of a corporate job, but I really wanted to focus on my school. Mm-hmm. I was going into behavioral sciences. I wanted to go for a uh, upper level degree. I want to become a psychotherapist and, uh, I had to get a job. And I had to get a job at that time. The University of Utah was on the tri semester, the trimesters. Mm, remember that? I was going to say you that's were when there. I was there. Yeah. So your schedule changed quite a bit, relatively frequently. Um, so I needed a job. I it no longer. I had to tr- trade the tie in. I couldn't work corporate. So um, I, my uncle said, "Why don't you go get a job up at the ski resorts? They crush it. Go get a job at Steins, be a server." I'm like, you know, Uncle Pete. I don't have any experience in, I've never been a waiter before. He's like, didn't you do something in a restaurant when you were a kid? I'm like, oh yeah, when I was a, I was about 15, I got in a little trouble 
And my dad, trying to set me straight, he called a buddy of his, Jimmy Glagoza. Jimmy. So, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to be running numbers? Do I got to whack somebody? I'm only 15. I'm freaking out. In the morning, my dad took me to to the job because I didn't have my license yet. He took me the long way. He went through Buffalo, all the bad parts of town, running and slowing down in front of mean-looking people, thinking like that's where I got to get dropped off just to, you know. So finally, we end up like two miles from our house. <laughs> he had to come back. And it was a hot dog stand. And that hot dog stand, um, I had to work the grill all summer long in that humid oh, heat that and over the charcoal grills, grilling dogs. And uh, so I say that because that was my only hospitality experience. <laughs> and in the interview at Stein's, I don't know if they even know this, at the interview at Stein's, getting to be, when they were asking me about my experience, I referred to this hot dog. You could say I might have elaborated it a little bit. <laughs> so I got the job. <laughs> so I fell in love. I, I worked at uh, Steiner Exxon Lodge uh, on the Glitterton, at the Glitterton restaurant as a server on the floor. And uh, that's where I fell in love with hospitality. I, um, you know, uh, seeing people enjoying that dining experience, seeing how wine can impact someone's dining experience, seeing how somebody would bring in a bottle of wine and the son would say, dad, are you sure? And the grandson who just graduated from, um, the, the become a lawyer or whatever, he was like, grandpa, really? Are you sure? Like how that in, a family's lineage of a bottle that they all knew about being popped and how celebratory that could be and that impact. And again, I was in behavioral sciences, so I was looking at that, that behavior and it was, I fell in love with it. I was like, man, I want to figure out how to do that. And, and then that's how it all happened. So, so, so you have this experience in college and, and you're at the U doing behavioral science. So do you, when, when do you make that leap into moving towards being like a sommelier? It's a great question. Um, when folks ask me about how do you learn about wine and when you're a server on the floor of a restaurant, you really only have to be as good as your wine list. And what I mean by that is you have to be pretty much responsible for every bottle on that. You have to be able to speak to something about whether it's that grape varietal, that category in the wine list, have a couple of go-to selections in that wine list that you do know by heart, know all your wines by the glass very well, and know what food that they pair with. And Steinerks and Lodge has got a great beverage program. They've got a demanding clientele. So just inherently with me wanting to have having a good work ethic brought up by parents uh, instilling a good work ethic in me, I felt the responsibility to know that wine list. And it was far beyond my comprehension. I grew up with wine on the dinner table, sure, but it was uh, Dago Red. It was an <laughs> Italian red wine. Like My dad taught me how to buy wine when we were in the liquor store by the age of the guy's face on the bottle. <laughs> you know, it's like, so we drink a lot of Cambari. <laughs> so, so did you, did you like waste your paychecks from Stein Erickson uh, on their wine so you could taste each of them? Because they're not all cheap. So, you know, it was, um, that gave me the bite. I, you know, that, that gave me the bug, um, uh, on a hospital hospitality and food and wine and the process when I really started to dive in because 
being a server on the floor, um, it was very rewarding, but I didn't think I would make it a career. So when I went after Steins, the year I graduated from college in 97, I wanted to get back into the corporate world. Um, and I got into the dot com. However, in tandem, while working for a computer, um, a uh, company installation company at that time we had uh 256k internet connections <laughs> that we were installing and changing companies over from coax cable to cat5 and you know having hub computers so we were doing that but but I transferred down from Steins cuz I lived in the valley here in Salt Lake to the Metropolitan Restaurant. And I don't know if you remember that restaurant. Karen Olson owned it. And it was a five to ten course tasting menu. It was like the Lebec Fen out of Philadelphia, Michelin Star Restaurant of Salt Lake. You know, it was a very fine dining. And I was able to provide or I was able to perform um, all that skill set from Stein, that fine dining in a much um, more intimate environment a little bit more complex with the courses. So I really enjoyed doing that in the evening. But again, I was as good as my wine list at the Metropolitan, and they had a great wine list. And uh, it wasn't until 2002, after the Winter Games here, my wife and I relocated to Atlantic City, New Jersey. Oh, and I know. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I tell people, yeah. No, it's all right. I tell people I was there. I was supposed to be there for three years. It turned into five. I got let out on good behavior. So let me, let me, I got to ask you this because I don't know a lot of people that know Atlantic City. Um, so I, I've been there, I've been there a couple times. Um, and the way I always describe it is it's Windover trying to be Las Vegas because they try to have these huge glitzy hotels and shows, but really people are only there because they want to gamble and they don't give a shit about any of that other stuff. It's true. And it's, you know, yeah. yeah. So in Atlantic city, when I got there, you're absolutely right. You captured, uh, the, the ambiance of Atlantic city. Um, but what happened was, uh, Boyd gaming, and when property resorts invest MGM properties invested in a hotel there in Atlantic City called the Bergada Hotel Casino and mm-hmm. Spa. And what the Bergada did to Atlantic City is what the Mirage did to the Vegas Strip in the eighties. It hit the reset button. And the city and mind you, this was in two thousand two, three, uh up until two thousand eight or nine, everybody had a ton of money at that time. The housing market was going big. Um, it was a very robust time economically in our community, in the nation. And when I got to the Bergada, um, uh, I, I worked in a steakhouse and one of the beverage directors said, hey, we're going to have a um, wine certification by the American Small A Association by Andrew Bell out of New York. We would love for you to do it. You showed some because I applied the same concentration and effort at the old homestead as I did at Stein's and at the Metropolitan. And I found some success there at the old homestead steakhouse, which was a steakhouse out of New York city in the meatpacking district owned by the Sherry brothers. And the, I, so I take this certification. It's a 14 weeker, 52 of us go in. It's like 1400 bucks to take this class. And, uh, when we get in, we're all excited. Like every Monday, this can be so cool. We're going to learn about wine. And this, uh, Andrew Bell comes in. He's, uh, like five foot two, nothing, big stocky guy, bald hair, suit, Windsor, uh, you know, buttoned up tie. And, uh, he looks at every one of us and you could just tell everybody got quiet. And he goes, I want you to look to your left. 
And I want you to look to your right, because half of you ain't going to be here at the end. And we're like, oh, my God. I thought this was going to be fun. And you know what? He was right. There was only 18 of us that sat for the exam and 12 of us that certified. And I was one of those 12. And the moment that happened, my phone started ringing, and I was able to kept my job, kept at the old homestead. But I'd go into Philly, I'd go into Northern Jersey, and I would stage on my days off, which means it's an industry term. It's like an internship. So I would work the floor of different restaurants as a sommelier. Then I continued my paths in the um, Court of Sommelier, Court of Masters, and then uh, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. See, there's two tracks in becoming a master of wine or a master sommelier. And uh, I've studied both. I'm certified in various levels in both. And uh, the difference between a master of wine and master sommelier, those two studying tracks, I like to compare here in particular, it, it kind of uh, speaks to people in this community is skiers versus snowboarders. Thanks, you know, you're, you're both doing the same thing, right? You got a piece of plastic strapped to your feet and you're ripping downhill, but clearly there's a difference. There's a difference in attitude, behavior, performance, that kind of a thing. And uh, the snowboarders are the, Court of Sommelier, the, 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 <laughs> the, you know, that show Sam and all that. And I've got a couple levels in that. And, uh, but what I really leaned into was, uh, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which is a certification program out of London, England. And my company, the Wine Academy of Utah, we are an approved program provider to be able to certify people. So we certify people on various levels in becoming a master of wine. Here in Salt Lake. Hmm. So it's kind of cool. And there's only a couple hundred in North America, and, and we have one here in the state. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. In Salt Lake, of all places, that is really cool. So I sunk my teeth into becoming a wine so, uh, guy so in what, Atlantic City. What brought you back to Utah? My wife. So <laughs> I wanted to stay. I really like uh, the East Coast. I'm an East Coast kind of guy. I loved uh, being able to go to Philadelphia for lunch. Uh, that was our in and out airport. We're only about 45 minutes away. Uh, two hours from driveway to parking garage in New York City, mm-hmm. taking the kids up there to go ice skating or go to the park or just to go for a drive. You know, you drive 90 minutes back east, even growing up, and you're in a different world. Mm-hmm. You're in a different community. You're in a different culture out here. Nothing wrong with that. You drive 90 minutes. You're like, hey, we got gas station coming up anytime <laughs> soon. So it's a little bit different. And that's fine. It's totally good. But we traded in the beach in the big cities for the mountains. Uh, our, and, and quite frankly, my I got a lot of family out here. Um, my wife, Joni, grew up in Orem. Although she's a New Englander, uh, she came out here in fifth grade and uh, we got a lot of social network out here. So it was the right decision. Yeah, it was a good, good, good choice to come back. So what what area did you come back to? Well, I wanted to have, uh, you know, when we moved to um, when I was in college here in Salt Lake, I flipped a few homes in Sugar House. And then when we moved to New Jersey, we lived in a brand new subdevelopment, had a nice big house. Uh, it was within a community. So we had the swimming pool and we got the rec center and, you know, one of those kinds of developments. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved back here, I'm like... If I see another clawfoot tub in Sugar House, I'm going to shoot myself. You know, the old electric, the old. So I said, I want to, I want a McMansion and Draper and the stuff. She's like, Oh, sweetie, that's so sweet. You think you can decide with me? So, yeah. <laughs> so we ended up moving in Highland Park area oh. on the top side of Sugar House. 
And it was, it was the right decision because we got a home that was built in 53, a nice rambler and, uh, but it was remodeled. So I got all my modern lines and colors and new kitchen that I like. And she got the location. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, we love it because we can walk, uh, to Sugar House, the park. We, right. our kids walk to school, high school. So it's awesome. We love it. And our neighbors are super cool. So. Sounds like a sugar house hipster to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did my mustache give it away? <laughs> I, I I don't have a mustache. <laughs> There's some cool well, stuff. You do. In there. It goes with. There's some cool stuff in that area because you got Oleo over there. You got Fiddler's Elbow. You I'm, got... I'm aware of what's in Sugar House. <laughs> you know what we got over here? We got the Olympic Oval. We got we got gang drive bys over two there. Two liquor stores. <laughs> yeah, we got two liquor stores. Really, Boom. Cool. <laughs> one, one the biggest actually was... two. Wine stores. Yeah. Ah. The biggest uh, liquor store in the state still, I think, is this one right here. I don't know if they finished the other one yet. It's nice. Have you been to the uh, Saratoga Springs? That's New favorite. It's pretty you nice. Haven't been there yet. The Saratoga? Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm thinking about the, 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 oh, yeah, the Saratoga's Harriman all about one. me. Right. The new Harriman one. I really like that one. The Saratoga Springs is the new model where the wine bottles are upright on a shelf. So it it's very much like a total wine or a wine store out of state, right? And um what I what I like about it is the signage, how you uh, the displays, great um good movement through the store and uh checkout is a single line and then they got three registers and then the next register is that open then you get to go to that register mm-hmm. so rather than like oh what's the shortest line oh, that's how the that's how this one is too is that there's yeah, one line and there's five i think there's five there's registers five, that's how the new isn't that cool yeah is. that's the new but what there's never five people there no new year's there's eve but they got it new year's eve there were five people <laughs> but what's funny about the saratoga springs uh wine store signage is that they have wines from Europe. They We call them in the industry imported wines, but the huge sign there that they have, I kid you not, says foreign wines. <laughs> so I, I, I wish it was How a punchline. Did, did they put them by the oriental wine? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was a fence you had to climb over to get to it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Something else. Who comes up like where? Where? So in the in the wine stores in particular, um, as you walk around to try and decide on a bottle of wine, every I think they they have a rule that like every actual rack piece has to have one of the wine descriptors stuck in it. Who, yeah, who does those for them? That that's a good question. That's the brokers, the people that represent that oh, okay. product. Um, at one time, they actually got rid of them because there was some pushback because they weren't kept up. Um, and uh, but now that got all straightened out. So yeah, I always we're paid really close attention because you'd see a, a a bottle and it's below a tag that's like, oh, it's got a score of ninety six, but it was from. F- Five years before this bottle. And that's exactly the pushback. People are saying, hey, that's not the product that we have in the state. Um, things of that nature. But, uh, you know, that's all straightened out. They have to maintain their accuracy and the, and the state liquor store employees are welcome to take that card out. And, and it, it's not that it's required. Um, they, it, they can remove it if it's inaccurate or if they're getting some pushback. So there's a good balance there now. And correct me if I'm wrong, most of the wines that are sold in the liquor stores here in the state are relatively new, right? Like they, they're within the last four or five years for the most part. Oh, yeah. So we pretty 
pretty much carry current vintage. So um, when the wine's released from the winery, we buy it and put it in the store. We do have some uh, older selections, but um, that's by happen chance. Uh, in that, for example, um, a lot of the store, one of the best stores to go to down south outside of um, uh, St. George in Hurricane, the Hurricane mm-hmm. Wine Store. I love going to that wine store because they just, receive the same wines that every other store gets, but they don't have the volume of traffic for purchasing. So when they receive the next box of wine the following year, if they have anything left over, they just put that old stuff at the bottom <laughs> and then put the new stuff on top. So It's the same thing, right? So if you hit yeah. the bottom of the racks, you, you can find some good stuff. That's right. I'll go in there and I'm on my hands and knees, you know, crawling around. What's dustiest? And that's exactly it. I'll grab a bottle and I'll be like... you know it's some older and it's the same price point and that's the that's the funny part or ironic part um so you can find some really good finds uh like old roan reds um old rieslings which would be a white wine yeah and uh just the other day last week i ordered a box of pinot noir uh current vintage 2018 and uh, I got a bunch of wine events coming up, so I was going to place this as one of the pours. And uh, I'm at the event. I opened it up, and shame on me! I just popped the. I just brought the whole box. It was in my car. I was running late. I grabbed the three bottles out of the case, uh, married it into my other wines that I'm, I'm uh, featuring. And at the event, I open it up. I pour it. We're all talking. I'm pouring the wine, and I'm noticing this Pinot's a little darker. It's got like some garnet color, which is an indicator of age to a red wine. And I get to my station and I, I usually do a four foot fold out with my tablecloth. So there's social distancing, but also to present from. And um, I tip the wine forward. I'm like, this is absolutely garnet. This is an old Pinot. I set my glass down. I grab the bottle, look at the label, 2014. It was, And I ordered the 2018. I We had no business having this 2014 for the same price of $18.99 that I bought this Pinot for. And it's those kind of scenarios that I think Utah falls over itself with that we bene- that we can right. benefit from. Well, it's like you when know? we bring in a case of something rare like Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. And it's it's you know, price restricted. We're, so we're, we're paying a hundred dollars for a bottle that sells for three grand. Isn't that something? Uh, uh, Yamazaki eighteen year, mm-hmm. same thing, two ninety nine for a bottle. We're in the country. It was seven fifty, twelve hundred dollars. Best whiskey, the best whiskey of the world. And we spoke of Edinburgh earlier um, uh, in Scotland. And uh, when I take people on my trip, I take folks you on take an eight-day trip. take them to McAllen, don't you? Yep, of course. Yeah, the, the McAllen's brand new now. Uh, they've got the, they still have that new new distillery smell. <laughs> um, uh, but in Edinburgh, when we're there, there's a couple of real specialty whiskey shops that I um, make an appointment with. You can taste whatever you want. And they had a bottle of Yamazaki 18. Mm. And one of the folks on my trip bought it for 699 pounds. So that About was like just shy of a- dollars yeah, that yeah. Was, at that time with our rate, it was like eleven twenty. Yeah, it was it was pretty expensive. But it's you know, it um, Utah still sold it for three hundred bucks. It, we only get three six packs, so we only had eighteen bottles for the yeah. state. Did after. that person drink it? Is my question? No, not yet. It's in a shadow box. I just visited my buddy uh, in the spring of the uh, not spring fall of last year. Excuse me, and uh, he showed me the shadow <laughs> box on it. Yeah, so he's gonna probably when he gets married, he'll probably pop it. <laughs> you should save that and sell it at auction in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh. 
But that's why he, I mean, that's why he got into it is to, to see people pop bottles like I that. I was going to say, they're... but sometimes it's not about the money. Sometimes it's about actually in, enjoying the product, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah. It, it's like our, you know, folks ask me, um, going back, you know, and it worked some of the heyday of my, uh, experience as a smallie on the floor or even a server on the floor of a restaurant was in my Atlantic City days at the old homestead. I also worked with Michael Mina Restaurant Group, which is big out west and, and things of that nature. But more importantly, I would always have, I, I call them the forget about it. It's like, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, those <laughs> kind of guests that are from like Northern Jersey or right out of the city in New York or, you know, the boys from Philadelphia, they were a little bit more metrosexual at that time. You know, they're a bit more proper. Um, folks from Maryland coming up are the nicest people you ever meet, but they're going to tell you the crab cakes aren't that good. Uh, and, but the a guy would always ask me, like, hey, what's the difference between a $45 bottle of wine and a $4,500 bottle of wine? And, you know, you walk through the um, uh, the cost of the winery and how much uh, fruit they're actually sourcing, you know, a $45 bottle of wine is, is more of a, a bulk production and it, uh, how, mu- how varietally correct the wine is, what's the terroir that comes through, all these little things add up. And, and as you mentioned, it's kind of like art and appreciation, but then I would always end up my conversation with the gentleman saying, and at the end of the day, sir, you probably didn't come here to the casino in a Yugo. You know, a car, you know, a Chevette, you know, you, you probably came in a Mercedes or something other. Hey, the other car would have got you here. It would have done the same thing. And, and when you put it in those terms where somebody can really appreciate it, then, then they get it, you know, then they get it. Despite all the technicalities of, you know, uh, the, the winery, this and the winery, that. (laughs) So let's, let's talk about what you brought this evening. Oh, yeah. So this is a special order I did. I uh, featured at one of my wine events, canned wines. Um, it's such a category. So back in the day, which was not that long ago, canned wine was thought of as garbage. I have had some <laughs> nasty can. <laughs> that like is small, not a the bad small boxes out of the repu- gas stations. Oh. In, 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 oh, in wow. Yeah. Someone brought one of those to one of the RSL games and gave one to me, and I'm like, I would rather the, drink like Baranda, dirty Baranda shoe water like this. It was <laughs> Go get me a beer. so so gross. When and how has this shift taken place to where right. it's no longer just... So um, about five years ago, uh, even longer, uh, about 10 years ago, rather, a boxed wine that we were chatting about, three liter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bags in a box that you can fit perfectly in the refrigerator and it has a tap spout. and then a little spout, which That's is That's what perfect. my mom drank. Yep. And, That's um, what I take camping. <laughs> black box came out oh, in the early nineties. And I did, um, when I was a sommelier at the casino, I keep referring back to this because it, it really was at a transition as well, not only for me professionally, but also in the industry. And case in point, each Monday we all met together as sommeliers from the different restaurants and our wine director would blind taste us, go, go through some, you know, do's and don'ts. Uh, and then, uh, we were all assigned something to elect to teach our fellow sommeliers. So I decided to, when Black Box came out, to do a blind tasting, uh, Pinot Grigio, Black Box Pinot Grigio, and Black Box Cabernet Sauvignon. And I blind tasted them on that against a higher quality Pinot Grigio that was bottled. I think he did Santa Margarita. Hey, how you doing? You don't want to look. <laughs> Santa Margarita. And then just a, a California cab. 
And although we were able to tell which one was which, we were universally surprised at how varietally correct the black box was. The Pinot Grigio tasted like a Pinot Grigio. The Cabernet tasted like a Cabernet. Um, and that's when that quality started coming. Now, as for the formats changing, uh, they've changed them about eight years ago, five years ago. You started seeing those liter pours, like those plastically mm-hmm. boxes that you can uncap and pour your wine. Um, and then all of a sudden, the cans about 36 months ago, about three years ago, started coming out. And it was for a few reasons. It was lighter to ship. Um, it was convenient for the consumer. It had a quick chill. And there was a recyclableness to it versus the heavy glass and recycling a glass. And at first, it was kind of poo-pooed, like, uh, like what's going on here? <laughs> but we did a uh, taste test challenge, like the Pepsi challenge, where I did a can of the wine versus that exact wine. In a bottle. In a bottle. And it tasted the same. The reds, however, kind of came across a little bit. I find that your Savion Blancs, your Pinot Grigios, your bubbles in a can are great, are great. Obviously, they're not meant for aging. They're meant for convenience. And you got to be careful, although the format I brought you today that we'll chat about, if you're getting a standard can of wine, you got to remember that's a half a bottle of wine. <laughs> it's a half a bottle. So when you're three in, <laughs> you're going to have a it's headache. A, it's a fun morning. Tuesday. <laughs> well, it's kind of nice because like for, for me and all of our friends, there's only one other friend that drinks wine. And so, like, she and I, I mean, she and I can easily drink a bottle, but she happens to be on a diet right now. So, if I open a bottle, I pretty much have to waste. I mean, I I just myself usually don't it. have more than <laughs> maybe three glasses. Like, that, like that's like... There's you know, wine left over, right? Well, that's and, always and then a, I feel bad. I put it in the fridge and, you know, and that's five all, days later, I'm like... That's yeah, always know. a struggle for yeah. me, too, because I, I cook with a lot of wine. And I usually mm. will pour a glass when I cook, but... And then I've got a, a a nice bottle of Cabernet that I've had a two glasses poured out of, and it's just sitting on my counter, and it does not stay. I, don't stay. Mm. <laughs> I like my, I like I like the middle. I like the pink pink wines. You know, they say when you cook with wine as a chef, there is a sure proof method of proportion. They say. Um, one for the dish and two for the chef, and that's he can never go. That's actually about what he probably does. Yeah, you betcha. So the canned wines, um, after they had some of that consumer um, indifference, you know, the consumer hesitation. Uh, once we overcame that, we now started seeing the flooded market, not only with canned wines, but also canned cocktails. So the consumer appreciation and acceptance, you know, last summer, um, 2019 rather, summer of 2019, no, summer of 2018. Um, because I remember doing this on a radio show 2018, we had, uh, White Claw, White Claw, like the canned cocktails or spritzers, the spritzers. spritzers. <laughs> the, the spritzers, they, uh, had 300% of their sales in 2019 happened in the month of July. Whoa. It was a combination of marketing, timing. It was summer out. Great. Great social media campaign, and it and it's never stopped since. My, the, that's what my daughter's well now, drink. Well, now you have. Well, we've had the white claw. 
I like the white claws. I actually like the um, uh, the presses better. I think they have a better mm, flavor. Presses. What but is now it, you the have cast drinks? Um, the shitty. Yeah, because she doesn't have very much money. But what she's is twenty-two. She was super excited when she came home. And we what? bought her presses, like Trulies or some crap like that. But now you oh, have yeah, Trulies, now you have Anheuser Busch. You have Coors making the hard yeah. seltzers. Um, well, and I've also noticed the, the shift in the beer in the craft beer. Yeah, in the cans because it was the same thing with the craft beer. But probably about three years ago ish, about the same time. Yeah, you started seeing the shift, and that's when we when who did we talk to? For the very first did it was that Bohemian. I think it was Bohemian that was talking about yeah, the switching we, over to the cans because they had all the cans in the back. Yeah, but we we talked to Salt Flats first. You're I right. Think. I just salt, I salt had flats to was close my just, eyes. It was it was salt kind flats. of the same argument. They're like, we can put it in cans so much cheaper. We can pre-order the cans much cheaper. They're they're better to ship. They've got their own canning machines. We don't have to like yeah. do all the labels this stuff. aren't have, as difficult. The bottles because they're you have to keep it the temperature and you have to sterilize and and he's like with the cans it's so much quicker. So we we kind of saw the shift across the board. I think yeah. right about the same time. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And um, the wines that we're featuring here is by Pampalone or Pampalone. I say everything with an Italian accent. Um, the <laughs> Pampalone, it's a French product that they use wine as their base and then they fold in flavors. So you have the, um, rose lime. So that lime is kind of that acidity. So think Sauvignon Blanc, but yet it's a rose, right? The rose lime. And then you've got, uh, the Lepeche for peach and they fold in and they're slightly carbonated. And these are um, a smaller size. So is that two fifty five or uh, one eighty seven or two two fifty two fifty? Um, so that's a small. So that we call that a single serving. Uh, so it's about anywhere between eight, uh, six and eight ounces, and uh, versus say that half bottle. And we're starting to see that variety of uh, formats and uh, wine in a can. You know, I mean Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc, which is a Great Sav Blanc, high price point, 20 bucks, 18 bucks for the bottle. You're starting to see them in that half bottle can, um, format. And that's a higher quality, but you know what? Tastes delicious. You know, you're going to. So why do they put sulfides into these? So, because yeah. when I said it, it smells a little funny, but it tastes great. You knew this right one, away it was sulfur. This one doesn't though. So, so yeah. sulfites are a natural preservative. Uh, that we put into wine and, uh, they're in both white and red wines. And that always then leads into the natural question is when people get headaches when they drink wine and they're like, it's the sulfites. I'm like, well, sulfites are in both white and red. Well, I don't get the headache with whites. And when you get the headache, the first thing you do is you look at the bottle of wine you're drinking to turn it around like, oh, sulfites, that's the problem. And it's a bottle of red wine. But sulfites are um, the maximum amount by law of the milligrams, uh, the parts per million of sulfites that are allowed to be placed in wine are a far cry. In fact, 300% more are in a dried piece of apricot. So of sulfites. So if you're allergic to sulfites out there and you're not sure if you are or not, go eat a dried apricot. <laughs> eat a dried apricot. Go to Trader Joe's, get some dried apricot, and eat it. And if you don't have a headache, then it's not the sulfites. So what is it that gives you that headache? This is the white papers that I read, and this is the argument. In red wines, and not all red wines will give you a headache. In red wines, what's giving you the headache are those red wines that are aged in a lot of oak 
barrels. So it's the tannins. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's that, it's that, and the woodiness that you ingest releases histamine in your body. And histamine appears headache, um, flushiness, red flushiness of the cheeks. And then even in some cases, hives that you'll break out. And so if that ever were to happen outside of drinking wine, you would take a Benadryl, which is an antihistamine. So that's, and I don't recommend having Benadryl before drinking wine because you're going to really get a headache and don't operate machinery. Um, so it's, that's the, that's the thinking. That's the audit trail, if you will. That's, that's the line of thinking that we, uh, that we believe that it's, it's the tannins that we're talking about. It's the woodiness. So if you like red wine, you know, what wines can you have? Well, this is more of those European wines, those imported wines. Think Spanish those wine. Those foreign ones. Those foreign. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's wines that are aged less in new oak and more in used or older oak, um, twice or three times used oak barrels. Um, and you won't get those new vanillins coming out. That tends to give you the overwhelming oakiness. Or sometimes you get really congested. Or you get you congested, yeah. That's how I get with some of them. Ah, like yeah. super congested, like out of nowhere. You're like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So that that's the case with that. But it's it's fun with the new packaging of all the products, uh, spritzers, wine, and uh, the and it's not going to end. It's not going to stop. And I think you're uh, going to have, you know, right now we had a real interruption in the. It, with with COVID and everything, people are just hanging on. Although liquor sales, beverage sales, beer, spirits, like, and wine have gone up. Per, personal be- beverage sales for sure. Yeah. So uh, the the producers aren't stopping with what products to provide, but um, I, I think you know they're onto a good thing with the can. So right now they're just staying with that for a few years, right? So we'll see what comes. I up I think next. sales have gone up because people are like if we're gonna die, I'm not going down drinking wild turkey. I want. <laughs> know why the switch to to so many screw caps just because i like to pop a cork sure not not because i think uh, uh, i'm so, just curious so that's a good question screw tops um one of the main manufacturers called stelvin and the screw top is intended uh was created because of the degree of faults that could occur with a natural cork that corky that thing that i have yeah. In and out that can. But there are like, so like Barefoot, which is the wine that I like just because I really, really like their, um, what is it? It used to be Sweet Red it's and I can't pink, remember what it is it? now. No, it's red. Yeah, it's called Sweet Red. It, it's something else now. But anyway, they have a, it's not an actual, like it's not made out of cork. It's made out of something else. But yeah, yeah. So corks can come in a variety of ways. You can have, um, composite cork, which, it, well, you have natural cork, which right. is like, uh, on those finer bottles of wine. Then you can take, when you take the cork tree to make cork, um, in Portugal and other places, you actually have trees. You're, you're stripping the bark from the tree. You're then laying it flat and you're drilling down like you're making, you're punching out cookies out of the big thing. <laughs> That's what you're doing. So all the parts that are, so that punch that you're doing is actually going to be the cork. But then you have that you didn't punch out with the ring, the leftover, the outside. Well, we'll take that and crumble it up and make a composite cork. We'll still use all that, but then we put it together and form it into the shape of a cork. Then you have composite corks or synthetic corks, rather, the rubbery synthetic yeah. corks. Um, and then you've got 
Then you have your screw tops that we're chatting with. And screw tops are intended for wines that are just meant to be drunk upon upon release. You know, meaning anywhere between like now, you just bought it from the wine store, to about a year, year and a half, maybe three years. But the wine in a screw top is not going to improve um, because it's an absolute seal. See, the benefit of a cork allows a little bit of oxygen to come in and out. And that's why when you have wine bottles with a cork in it, say natural cork or composite, less than, yeah, exactly, less than um, your rubber corks or your plastic corks, they want to be um, on their side. You want to keep that cork moist and that cork will swell, preventing any air uh, against the glass and the cork from coming in and out. Now, it's always going to happen, but that's the good stuff. That's where the wine matures. But if you were to store a bottle of wine with a cork in it upright, and you have that head gap between the cork and the wine, that cork's going to dry out. It has no moisture. And you're going to have more air coming in and flow. It's not going to be like it's breezy. It's not like that much, but enough where it's really going to accelerate the degradation or the maturation Hmm. of that wine. And a lot of people come into restaurants and that cork's rock hard and it's been upright or they're, you know, we try to open it up and the wine went bad and it was a special occasion wine, you know, so you got to be really careful. And you don't want to, for those out there that are aging wines, it's a special bottle that's fantastic. The way that you can help age your wine is you want to keep it on its side that we're talking about and you want to rotate that just like a quarter turn two or three times a year. So when I'm dusting it, it's okay if it like rolls around? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then you want to keep it in constant temperature. Uh, You want to avoid temperature swings. Um, You want to keep it out of strong sunlight and vibration. Uh, uh, vibration. What are you talking about? What would be vibrating? Well, if you have your wine cellar on, on the other side of that wall in the basement is your furnace and your, garage. Uh, your garage door opening washer up, and dryer. washer dryer. <laughs> so you want to consider that because that'll agitate the wine. Sunlight. Well, it's in the basement. Good. But if it's upstairs in your dining room with a cool little rack that you got, um, you know, that or the kitchen, you've got a lot of natural sunlight up and down. And then temperature swings. You want to avoid, uh, temperature swings back and forth because that'll mess with the wine as well. We could start a wine cellar in our cold storage over there. I don't keep wine that long. <laughs> yeah, you could. So being being the wine aficionado, what are some of your favorites? Let's talk Utah wines because he okay. mentioned yeah. about the Utah Let's Festival. Talk Utah wines. So Utah wines. What are some of your favorites? So some of my favorite, IG Winery, Iron Gate Winery, IG Winery down in Cedar City. They do a great job for two reasons. One, How come my daughter was in Cedar City this whole time and I didn't know that like it was the wine <laughs> capital of Utah? They got a cool uh, wine bar right there. Uh, they do a really great job. And um, what I like about IG Wine, there's, so there's three wineries I like, IG Winery, OTC, Old Town Cellars up in Park City, and then Lakai here, uh, the restaurant. <laughs> we'll talk about that more. So <laughs> have you been, what, uh, Lakai? Oh. <laughs> so... So, so it is a real... talk about the first two and yeah, then we'll get to yeah, right, right. We can get into Lakai. So IG Winery, they do a good job because they um, source fruit from the state. They make a great Viognier and uh, Cabernet Franc and, and some other uh, varietals from here. But they also then import wine uh, or grape juice um, 
uh, and finished product uh, from California. Uh, OTC, Old Town Sellers, great group of guys and girls up there busting it out. They got property. They got a retail space right on Main Street in Park City. And they bring in some great Syrah and other varietals. Um, Red Mountain uh, out of uh, both. Uh, they source from both states, I believe, from Washington and Oregon. And their wines are really good. They are a wine drinker's wine. They are, uh, they're, um, I know the fellows up there, sommeliers and, and other, and they just love being ski bums too. So, I mean, that <laughs> that's really cool balance, being a winemaker in a ski town and still going after both your passions. I mean, what's better than that? But the wine's delicious. Outside of what I think of them, they got a solid product. And then Lakai, uh, Michael up there that does that. I love that they grow the grapes right along the side. The Savoie Blanc is delicious right there in the cottonwoods that grows. They make that, but then they also source fruit in from California. And it's a real solid. When I blind, what is blind tasted on that it, at the, at the judges festival at, at the Utah wine festival as a judge, um, immediately on the nose. Now we don't know whose wine is whose. And the way that we judge the wine is it's based on category or type. So we had all the Pinot Noirs or all the Chardonnays that were produced. And then we would just not rate them against one another, but by the category it's in. So as soon as I nosed one of their wines, I was like, oh my God, this is Russian River Valley fruit for sure. This is just, oh my, this is a fine product tasting it and just top scores and everything. It happened to be some of Lakai's wines really, really had that finesse, really Napa Valley-ish, just top end, high end premium selections. So those are my Three favorite. There's many more, but you know, it's. Right. Those are- I told you, real people go to Lakai. <laughs> Have you ever had dinner there? <clears throat> um, recent. Years ago, yeah. Were you in junior high or taking a Billy Sotelo is the chef up there. Um, I worked with Billy at Fresco Italian Cafe over on 15th and 15th years back. And uh, Billy's a real solid shooter. He's a great chef. Uh, he lets the food speak rather than doing too much to the food for the flavor. See? Uh, so he's doing a good job up there. We should go there so, sometime. So yeah. best of. Behind you. Yeah. So best of every year. Except City for this, weekly best of. Except for this last year. Uh, they win like everything for all this Lakai, stuff. Lakai. And everybody was like, they still won. they're not real. They're not real. I'm like, it's they're just real. A, they're just a front for the mob, mafia. They're just a, it's a anyway, front. just, it's so it's just a story. It's history, just a long yeah. running thing. If they're a joke yeah. that we make Lakai. now because we, they win like they everything. Win everything. Cause but, I'm the only one that's ever been there for a dinner that's outside. Well, see, of, the like, only a time I've dance. been there is years ago when my daughter was in junior high and took French class. They do their little French dinner there. Oh, nice. So right. I've actually sure. gone there for like an event, like for, <laughs> a, and everybody's like, no, nobody actually goes there for dinner. But, Yes, they do. They do. I'm just making sure it's real. That's all. It's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> the chef does great. Billy Satella, good beverage program. And, uh, you know, we don't, it's not like we got uh, a number of those style restaurants in our community. So it's fun to have that one. Um, and, uh, there are a lot of great beverage programs here in our community. One that comes to mind is BTG by the glass, the wine bar in downtown Salt Lake, uh, along with, uh, Cafe Molise, uh, those two right down there. And, uh, Louis Copples, the sommelier there, one of the better palates in our community. Um, another, uh, shout out, great beverage program, although they didn't open this year. Um, you've got Shallow Shaft. Up the valley, up across from, uh, Snowbird and Alta. Uh, Perry Remedies ran that program up there and, and only being open seasonal. 
Um, they really were able to get after it and having a restaurant, you know, think of your clientele, uh, snowbird, people staying on the property, uh, of snowbird and things like that. You get a lot of people coming in and, uh, there's a couple of other, uh, great programs in our community as well. Took a bit of a hit over the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this winter people are just getting by. I uh, got a lot of inventory that's not been picked up, uh, with the state. Uh, that might have been special ordered uh, in co- combination with the new Symphony software that the state bases their ordering on. We're seeing a lot of the cool fringe spirits and wines being cut um, mm-hmm. and not replaced. They're just tightening it up and increasing volumes on those that sell. And if you think that's not going to continue, you're crazy with the numbers yeah. they've seen this year. They've had some... Re- you said earlier, and, and I think we'll probably talk about it more on the show in general, but we've had some big hits on revenues this year. Uh, well, last year, yes, technically. So, so yeah, the um, sales have increased with the DABC, uh, Department of Alcohol Beverage Control. And interestingly, the sales rose uh, during COVID. Now, what happened during COVID was, yes, consumers purchased product, but for the sales to rise... Who was not purchasing? The restaurants. Yep. That's right. The, li- the licensees. So that supports the argument that we're trying to pitch to those on the Hill, legislator, not to get political, but it's a good point to make that when you're a licensee, when you're an operator of a bar or a restaurant or hold a license of some sort in the state that allows you to purchase and then sell alcohol, we have to purchase the alcohol at the same retail price, nicks the tax as the consumer. So we're saying, look, give us a break on the price. Give us either a wholesale price or what's called small winery discount price, which is you just knock off 20% of the retail price. And how much is that going to hurt them? Not much because the consumers are doing 95% of the heavy lifting anyways. Plus, you're going to make your tax when we sell a product in our operation right. at the end of the year. So it, the, the argument's circular, but it just makes good business sense because margins in restaurants and operators and, and bars are so narrow. Mm-hmm. Labor's going up. Our protocols to serve people during time of COVID with social distancing isn't going away. We're going to see that for another 18 months. Mm -hmm. So our operating costs have increased outside of our control. And it's just a, it's a good business sense for the state. We're a control state. Other control states give a break to the price to the operators. Why can't we? So, you know, that that's my little soapbox. uh, (laughs) Do do you think that people will not want to pay as much when they go out once they've gotten used to drinking at home so much because I mean to make a decent profit you do have to charge quite a bit for something and people who yeah. have gotten used to paying you know 15 bucks for their bottle of wine and they go out and they're paying at that for a glass right. may be less willing to, to do that you know that's a, that I like that question because it's insightful and two things are going to happen one when we go out let's face it our cocktails are going to be so weak because we've been yes. them out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. I had, I had a, I had a, a, a nice whiskey at Market Street the other day and a, like just asking for it straight up and you get a big glass with nothing in it and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's like, like when I make my Moscow mule at home. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do it by sight. <laughs> but what I think is going to save the restaurants, and, and this was in a few industry magazines, and we were talking about it on a Zoom call with some professionals, um, is the ambiance service. The service is going to have to really – thank you for coming in. But also, also, I think more has been put on the consumer also. Um, as a guest in the dining room, um, a behavior, uh, an awareness, you know, going out to eat now, I have to, I'm having trouble managing the menu on my phone. It keeps dropping off in this hole. You got to scan it. So more has been put on the consumer that two things. One is frustrating, kind of like when we had to learn how to fly. We've become our expert travel agent. We're now baggage handlers. We're all these things. We have to nourish ourselves. We have to be quiet, sit down, behave, shut up. You know, and that's frustrating to fly. Well, a lot of those have been put onto us as consumers, as guests in restaurants. But one thing that I think is been of a benefit when we do return to a restaurant Hopefully, 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 as guests, we appreciate the difficulties it is to work in a restaurant mm-hmm. and and the behavior of us as a guest, the screwing around. Oh, I can't hear you through the mask. Um, the, the whole thing about uh, it's taken too long in this. Nobody's doing anything in the back of the house or front of the house to delay anything. We never have ever. We, we have no motive to do that. If we want so, you to eat and get out so we can yeah, turn the table. Yeah. You join us, you sit, you eat, you pay, repeat. And we do everything to accommodate that. So I think hopefully there's this degree of empathy when you go out to eat to appreciate the hard work and everybody. Because guess what? You're probably working also really hard at your job with having to pivot and being on Zoom and, and, and figuring out your kids. Class. We're all working hard. Everyone's working hard. So that empathy to come into a restaurant hopefully will will uh, enhance that ambiance when people appreciate when they go back out and tip better. Yeah, or just yeah, or maybe with the coming administration, servers will actually get paid minimum wage. <laughs> That's and won't plan. have to rely on tips, and then that would be awesome. That yeah, that you know, but. Who has to pay that? You know, it's, uh, but if you go out, you should plan on paying a really good tip anyway. And so if you can't afford it as part of your meal, then you shouldn't be going. That's true. That's true. Because if you go over and you're traveling outside of this country, it's just, that's not a thing. So yeah, tipping isn't a thing, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the certification that we do at the Wine Academy of Utah, that WSCT certification, is the same certification that you're required if you work in hospitality in Europe. So it's this real, it's the real deal. I mean, it's internationally recognized what we provide you. We provide you a strong foundation in wines and spirits, um, in service and storage, um, a nice strong foundation of the major wine growing regions in the world. Uh, for example, when you take our level two, uh, it's an eight week program, two hours each week. You get a textbook study guide, glassware, you taste over 66 wines and, uh, you get a curriculum. You know what to study before you come in. You're presented in a 90 minute PowerPoint presentation. Then we taste through wines for another 90 minutes to that topic of study. So it's a very in depth, uh, program 
eight weeks. We do an intro week for week nine. Week 10 is a review. Week 11 is the exam. So we really want to make sure that you learn it. We've tried and played around with some hybrid methods where we've done the study sessions online with Zoom. And then uh, we meet uh, and I break it out for people at a time uh, for the tasting session on a Saturday. So, you know, we've played around with that. But guess what? That's the same price, but twice the work on the operator, right? So, and, and even the student. So it's just like everything has um, a, a limit with how much you can do, you know, and, and how much you can pivot. So we're looking forward to the spring and summer. Um, I took this opportunity of uh, pivoting and doing a lot of virtual tastings. Uh, the Wine Academy of Utah, we've sold more in-home wine tastings. Everyone has their COVID group or their quarantine group, <laughs> mm-hmm. rather, that they'll hang around with. I always wear my mask and stuff. We pour. We feature that in-home experience on three wines or five wines. Topic of study. The theme, the wine theme is like either a region or a style. You know, we have fun with it. Um, and then we also... One of the um, services and products that we have at the Wine Academy is we have something called the Whiskey and History Experience. Yep. And this this is a fun one. We we should do this for sure. And that's a 90-minute walking and tasting tour in downtown Salt Lake City talking about the rich history of distillation in our community. We taste multiple whiskeys and we finish at Whitehorse. A little shout out to those guys uh, for a final dram uh, on us. And it's been a great experience to be able to do on the Airbnb platform. And we... Um, uh, as of January of last year, I didn't do my numbers yet this January, but January last year, I started in the fall of 2018, all the 2019, January of 2020, I did 383 people that visited our community. So I'm really turning on, wow. you know, folks that um, break in stereotypes, tasting some great whiskeys, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to be able to do that. Well, you're in doing classes with... You're partnering with local distillers like Water Pocket and Sugar House. And can you talk about yeah, some of building our, that community? Yeah, that business to business relationship we have. Um, we feature High West, uh, Sugar House, Beehive Distilling, although outside of uh, we were also educators with lifelong learning up at the University of Utah. So I do um, American gins and local spirits tastings um on the wine side when we do our wine classes we uh um taste with um kiln we coordinate with kiln the shared office workspace Mm -hmm. uh their gateway location so we feature small wine tastings for their members as well as their lehigh location now let me preface I was hesitant to go out to Lehigh. I'm like, yeah, no one's drinking out there and everything. Oh, that's right in the middle of all the tech stuff down Let me there. tell you, they're thirsty in Lehigh. <laughs> <laughs> I know from experience. They're all, they they're are all, not afraid. The strap Cal- tank was not messing around when they Look, built their location there. Yeah. All those people on Lehigh are from California right now. That's so. right. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I understand from Kiln Lehigh, before COVID, there was a lot of locals that were Utah locals that were members at Kiln Lehigh. Then... COVID hit, their membership went way down, and now it built back up all new, 
all they're California. All California for so they're tech, all drinkers yeah. now. Right. Um, three Cups Coffee House we do um, uh, tastings at. Mm. We do something called wine workshops there, wine and whiskey workshops. Um, we had uh, contracted with Leonardo Museum for multi-course oh. dinners. Those were a lot of fun. Gallivan Center, that top floor there overlooking the ice rink we had. But we aren't able to some of those government or nonprofit or whatever you might want to categorize those locations. We've not fired that back up. They're closed down because of COVID. Um, and, a, and a number of, I had nine monthly wine tastings a month and then it went to zero. Right. Now we built it back up to two and four and now we're exploring. In fact, in, in an answer about outside of the, you know, Salt Lake core that we're in the counties, um, next week, um, I, uh, just, uh, finished up agreeing with Elements Restaurant in Logan. Oh. So they created a uh, wine club up there, and I'm going to be doing uh, wine classes up there, wine tastings, and everything that I do once a month, and everything that I do um, is educational-based. It's educational, entertaining, and fun. And uh, it's uh, I always have tasting sheets. They're called circle sheets where the glasses will set on, and I'll always have notes, printed collateral, um, it's a sit down. It's not a stand up kind of an event. It's not a social, although I'm interactive. I do have something to teach about the topic and it's always been really well received. Um, and you know, it's, it's an ounce and a half, two ounces of wine, you know, three times in, in 90 minutes and you get a little snacky snack, little <laughs> nuts and apple and cheese. And it's about the experience and, and it's about the learning. We need to do this because I've gone to two beer tastings. I don't like beer. Mm. And so I just like yeah. give my beer away and just drink water. I'm, so I'm we down. need to do something I that I can actually drink the, or the wine, the wine and whiskey. We, we have yeah. uh, no, just the wine. Just one, the wine. again, I have to give the whiskey away. We're not listening, are you? I'm not, you're not even. No, I'm not even inviting you. We, need, we, need, we need to go on the distillery tour. Is what we need to do. Yeah, the whiskey uh, and history walk is a lot of fun. Yeah, take, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. We start at the corner of my office at 300 East, 100 South. I give you an orientation of the history of Salt Lake from the mid 1800s to present day. About 15 minute. Hi, how are you? And then I invite you into my office. I got the tasting table all set up. I put that in my lobby so plenty of social distancing i never combine groups so it would just be like four or five or six of you and then Perfect. boom that's it um so we're not in you know in um intermingling or whatever just for social distancing purposes normally i just go up to eight and you don't know each other it's no big deal um uh and then we taste through a number of whiskeys five talk about the distillers here in our community i go through the clears to darks but we focus on five um actually i bumped it up because Denebrick distillery just brought out their mm -hmm. the hue moon the aged uh -huh. hue moon the white whiskey so i taste you on that as well so six then we go on a walk we walk down to main street go to the tabernacle walk down the street you know brigham Young did this here. He did that there. He was the first tavern. Yeah, the first he, distillery. Yeah, first distillery Valley. I just asked you what you wanted for Valentine's. There you go. <laughs> and then I we end you. up at Whitehorse. We even go through the red light district of Salt Lake. I'll keep that <laughs> secret for you uh, until you see it. And uh, it's a lot of fun, particularly with locals. What because, does Wayne's Corner Mart have to do with whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's fun, especially with those that are from Utah, because, you know, there is a, a lot. It's another layer that we can peel back, you know, 
And uh, it's really rewarding for me as much as uh, hopefully it is for those that are on the trip. And finishing at Whitehorse is so cool with a final dram. And uh, then you're there and then you can bang it up, you know, order some charcuterie or a little nibble nib and yeah, have that's fun. that's our favorite. Okay, we got yeah. two more questions for you and we'll wrap this up. The first the first one is something Jeremy kind of tried to ask earlier. Uh, and that is, what what is your favorite wine? That you've ever had. So my favorite wine I ever had, um, I'll answer this like, you know, when you see somebody that has a dog and you're like, oh, that makes sense that they have that dog. You know, they kind of like morph into <laughs> that. They look like <laughs> you know, you're in the park and you see somebody walking a dog. You're like, that makes That's sense. That's what we think when we look at Jeremy and his, and his wiener. My wiener. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I feel that with wine and my favorite wine is, um, uh, St. Joseph, it's from Northern Rhone. It's a Syrah, but this Syrah uniquely is blended with just a small amount of white wine with Viognier and it lifts it with its aromatics, its peaches and cream, but yet it still has that red fruit and firm tannic profile. And I feel I reflect with that because I can play well with others. I'm okay with, uh, you know, blending and things of that nature and adapting to my environment. And, uh, so that's my favorite one. Okay. Last question. Uh, and that is, uh, what is the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah in all your time here? Uh, the people. Um, I think it, you know, I've made some of my best friends here. And uh, I've had them pass on me. Yeah, it's the people. That's, uh, you're not the first to tell us the people are a big part of, of why Utah is great, as great as it is. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to they wanna do a tasting or a tour? Yeah, or... I'm super easy to get a hold of. Uh, WineAcademyUtah.com, uh, social media on Instagram or Twitter, um, at WineAcademyUt. And Facebook, of course. And then every other Friday on X96, uh, they created a feature for me, uh, Have Another Drink with Jimmy, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, that's this Friday. We listen. Yeah. Oh, good. And uh, this Friday um, or uh, every other uh, once a month, I should just say, we do a Q&A where we get listener questions. So that'll start at 745, but normally it starts right at 8 o'clock. And uh, I'm super proud. We have a sponsorship so we get to feature a lot of cool products. And uh, I do miss going into the studio downtown, being with Carrie, Bill, and Gina. Yeah, we're on the, the phone uh, all the time now. But being in that studio, it, it as this is, it's a cool vibe, right? And uh, being able to taste the beverage product and talk about it on air and have the video camera, you know, featuring it. So it, I cannot wait for that to happen. But, uh, yeah, tune in. Thank you so much for joining us. We My really, pleasure. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks again to to Jim Santangelo, the owner of the Wine Academy of Utah. Um, I love how passionate he is. Like you can just tell that he awesome. loves what he does. Oh, it's it's he's a he's a guy that uh, that's that's what you kind of dream, right? Is to be in a position where that's what you're doing. And to be excited to tell people about it too. Like you're always learning something and to be like, I got to tell you about this. Well, and the, the, I like the story of the transition of why he got into the mm-hmm. industry. Like that's a, that's something that's weird. Like that you just found a love, something that was just so burning that you're like that, that's, 
Well, and to do it based on the, like the environment and the relationship that people have with it, that's such a cool space to come from. Yeah, it really is. So seriously, want to take one of his classes. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll have to plan one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. COVID's a, COVID's a weird beast in terms of what it's doing to everyone business wise. Um, to hear him talk about all the ways that he's trying to pivot to make his business sustainable as well. Um, is really interesting. So you got to be creative to be a good business person, uh, especially in times like this. So uh, I'm glad he's figuring it out and he's finding ways to continue to stay busy. But, you know, like you said, he's a lot busier, but it doesn't mean he's making any more money. Right. Um, Putting in twice as much work. Yeah, for, for the same outcome. So... Um, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, if you, uh, like, you can, uh, follow us, uh, at TNU Podcasts on all the social medias. Um, you can, um, share the episode. That's actually the thing that we most enjoy. We're on the Amazons now, right? Yeah, we're on everything. We're um, on it all. If, uh, we're not on, uh, Parlor, though. I don't think we're on Parlor yet. So, <laughs> we, we, yet. <laughs> Do we have a MySpace account? <laughs> That's gone. Everybody should uh, be safe and responsible tomorrow. Um, yeah, or today, because no one's going to hear this before uh, Wednesday okay. the 20th. On Inauguration Day. Yeah. Like, don't do stupid stuff. If you want to protest, that's fine. You have a right to protest, but protesting isn't destroying things or shitting on the floor or whatever. Or cop cars. I do like to shit on the floor. But not on cop cars. No, that's Unless rude. you're going to burn them. That's rude, but I I love shitting on the floor. Um, oh, you can also this go to a our... good spot. What I said, you're just like this looks like a good spot. Yeah, I mean, when you Works gotta go, you dogs. gotta go, man. No, that's, that's what I disgusting. You <laughs> <laughs> um, You should go check out our website too, though. Uh, TheNewUtah.com. Um, we are. Uh, uh, helping out. It's not just Jess anymore. Uh, we're, we're all starting to contribute. So we're taking turns with the write up. So if they seem a little different, that's because they are. Yep. So if you hate it, let us know. If you love it, let us know. Um, I'm going to beat my dogs here in just a second because it's they've... not your dogs. It's Phoebe and Boone. Oh, it's the dog and the cat. Okay. I got to I want to tell this story before we go because everyone needs to know. So the dog and the cat, Phoebe and Boone, love each other to death. Like they're they're best friends. They they do play they're a lot. They're playing under the table. It it seems like he's annoyed. He's clearly not because when he gets finally fed up, he'll leave. So I've been watching them for a while because we've always tried to keep her from putting her paws on him. She is a seventy pound dog. He is a fat ass fourteen pound cat. But still, she's a seventy pound dog. When she puts her paw on him, it doesn't feel great. So we watch him lay next to each other and he'll be laying down and she'll go lay right next to him and he'll notice her and he might grumble a little bit, but if he doesn't immediately interact with her, she'll push her paw into him (laughs) and like he will, and he turns and he'll bite her just like a love nibble, not an actual deep bite and then start licking her. And as soon as he stops licking her, she'll push him with her paw again and then he'll start (laughs) licking her. And then as soon as he stops, she pushes him with her paw. <laughs> so it's a game they've got going. Oh, one hundred percent. She loves getting licked by by the cat. That's funny. And whenever he stops, she always nudges him. <laughs> and right now, she's trying to play under the smallest part of our table with the cat. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's my story. They're getting in the cord. So that's my story. Um, this is the New Utah Podcast. Um, go buy some booze at a local restaurant. Bless your hearts. <laughs>